Hi, everyone. Welcome to Commercial Real Estate Bosses, where we interview badass investors who are crushing it in the commercial real estate space. I'm your host, Sierra Hoffman. And on today's call, we have Jake Clopton of Clopton Capital. So thank you so much for being on the show today, Jake. Thank you. And likewise, I'm very excited. You said I'm badass. Amazing. So I would love to hear and my audience would love to hear more about your story. So can you tell us your background and how did you get into commercial real estate? Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, probably a little bit of a different path than most people. So I'm in Chicago, it kind of plays mm -hmm. into it. Uh, before I got into commercial real estate, and I started this company, this was 15 years ago, I used to trade interbank hedging, hedging product futures. So three month LIBOR, which we don't really use LIBOR anymore, Fed funds, futures, treasury, stuff like that. 15 years ago was the credit crisis. And as a trader, you need things to move around and volatility and that kind of market went to zero and it didn't move anymore and evaporated. So I needed something <laughs> else to do. Uh, yeah. My I, I, idea, you know, I came up with something else to do was it being a credit crisis was to find owners and operators of real estate access to capital. And really that's what we are. We're a liquidity provider to people that are looking for financing. Let's go to the debt and equity side. And it grew from me just doing basically at the time, just cold calling anybody I could. And it was tough back. Not a lot of people were still in the market then. But if you were looking for capital, you basically, wherever you could find it, you just took it. And at the time, <laughs> we would just, we would find somebody lending or we'd find equity or something. And it was, people just came to us. Since that time, we've added a couple different sides to our business. We're also an insurance company. We focus 100% on commercial property insurance. And then we also do outsource CFO, financial modeling, investor reporting. But I focus on capital markets. That's all we do. And the stuff that I do is a couple million bucks up to, I think the largest deal I've worked on is like 400 million. It's a full cash stack. We do the three major debt products, perm, bridge, construction, and we'll layer in like higher cash stack products like MES and Prefin equity into those if needed. And then the other side of the coin is LP, joint venture equity, maybe some co-GP in there as well. But I know we're talking about multifamily here, but we pretty much look at anything. Yeah. Got awesome. it. So you've got a pretty wide range of products and services that you provide. Working on it. <laughs> That's awesome. And obviously you've been in this business also for a very long time. You've got that experience behind you as well. And going through the credit crisis, obviously you've gained a lot of experience and knowledge from that time. What do you see forecasted right now, just with interest rates, the way they've been going for... What the past year now, it seems, where do you th see things going from here as far as the market? As far as interest rates, and this is coming from somebody who used to trade interest rates professionally for a living, mm -hmm. I could tell you the 100% certainty they would either be higher, lower, or the same. And I, I know that sounds like a cop-out answer, but the, the thing about interest rates is that like it, all these predictions are based on like today's news, mm -hmm. right? Not tomorrow's news. And they're global products, like especially 10-year treasury. It's a global mm -hmm. product, right? There's stuff that will happen, for instance, in Ukraine that will yeah. affect stuff. At the end of the day, you can glean where things are going to look. Obviously, the, the yield curve is telling us that rates will go down in the future because it's inverted. But again, you can't say with certainty because... And I like to tell people this because a lot of people ask, hey, should I lock my rate today or should I get in this prepayment? This and that? It's, it's really about you have to base it on what you know today and, mm -hmm. and mitigate your opportunity costs later on because there are just so many things that can affect rates. That's my answer. Got it. Now, just for some of our listeners who are newer to the industry, maybe they don't know the difference. And there's been a lot of bad press, I would say, about or not 
maybe not bad press, but just a lot of investors saying negative things about like bridge financing and things like that. And almost like a blanket statement for all bridge loans. So just for our listeners, can you explain what are bridge loans exactly? And maybe put some light on to the issue of are bridge loans really that bad? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think bridge loans certainly serve a purpose. Look, private in bridge loans fall into the whole private lending category, right? And private lending is growing exponentially, really because what's the alternative? It's depositories, right? Banks, credit unions. And mm-hmm. as they get more and more highly regulated, it's just going to become more difficult for a lot of people like syndicators to do deals at banks or credit unions, right? The underwriting between the two is completely different. Whereas, you know, you go to a bank or credit union, they're going to underwrite you globally. They really don't like a lot of syndicated equity. They're like skin in the game. They like relationships. Mm-hmm. They want to, again, underwrite you globally. They have debt covenants, this, the whole thing. Whereas you go to a private debt fund, they're going to look at this basically as a one property deal. Right, they're going to look at the economics of this property, and that's basically it. Um, so, for anybody that's dealt with a private lender versus a bank, you know that, right? The underwriting and the credit approval process is completely different. That said, think about it though. There's there's a difference. Rate of return it has is a metric of basically risk, right? And mm-hmm. if you think about it, like the bank needs the banks need to do less risky deals. They're lending out depositor money, whereas private debt funds that are doing bridge lending are lending out investor money. Big difference, right? So they can take more risk inherently means higher returns. That's why you see like bridge loans are more costly. I'm not sure what bad price you're seeing around bridge loans in general, but I'm guessing it's basically coming down to a lot of the stuff that was originated in 2019-ish, or maybe when rates were a lot lower and a lot of CLO money, stuff like that, loan obligation type bridge lending. That was at like 85% of cost and the exits that were underwritten on in a lower interest rate environment, thinking that rates weren't going to go up, right? Yeah, which now they are. And, and a lot of those deals are stuck to a degree just because bridge lending has a looser and I guess more risk loving credit box. It is still up to the power whether or not they're going <laughs> to pay about that one debt. No, and bridge lending absolutely serves a purpose. There's a ton of syndicators out there that would not even be able to do what they do without it. Just like anything, it's got to be used the right way. Absolutely. What are some examples of when you would use a bridge loan versus just regular agency debt? There's there for two totally different strategies. A bridge mm-hmm. lending is going to be anything short term. So value add, renovation, all this type of stuff. Agency, you have to be stabilized, 90% occupancy. We, we use agency debt for stabilized properties that you want to put it to bed for 10 years or, or whatever it is. So that, that's your government money, hard at work, lo- mm-hmm. lower than market <laughs> rates and Interest only and 10 year fixed, 30 year M, non recourse, all that stuff. Anybody who's the typical syndicator model where you're raising equity and you need to return capital appreciation over a three to five year timeline, that's a good syndicator deal for a profile. Perfect. All right. And so you mentioned that you do financing for all different types of commercial real estate, correct? Sure. Yeah. I've done a little bit of everything. Is there any differences between lending between these different asset classes? Yeah, it's all a math problem, right? But yeah, we do multifamily, we do hotels, retail. All of it's got a little bit of different underwriting, but it's not rocket science. There's not complicated math involved in any of this, right? Mm -hmm. As far as what is the most aggressive type of financing out there, it's definitely for apartment buildings, like hands down. 
But the general underwriting, I guess the more cyclical, the type of property it is, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas like hospitality is very cyclical asset, right? So, you know, you tend to get more conservative underwriting for more special use type of assets like that than you would anything residential. Got it. So interest rates, they defer a little bit between each asset class or? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you typically use apartments and hotels, two different sides of the spectrum. You're definitely getting higher rates the more special use you go up in the spectrum. Got it. And so you also have the insurance side of your business. How did that come about? I can't remember how many years ago it was, maybe four or five years ago. We really started thinking about what we actually are as a company and versus just being like a traditional model. And realistically, what we are is more of like an outsourced finance department. And with that in mind, started building services around that, right? Because for instance, if you go like all the way up the spectrum to like the, the biggest real estate companies out there, they have a guy like me doing capital markets that's sitting. So in that spirit, we started adding other services. Insurance is definitely a big one, especially right now. Insurance has, the cost of insurance has got to be going up way higher than inflation. And it's just becoming a bigger, especially in like a coastal city, coastal market, like Florida or something like that. It's just becoming a larger and larger percentage of the expense act. And the days I think sitting around and just auto renewing insurance policies is really just over because a lot of those, they're just taking to the face. I mean, a lot of the like renewals we've seen go out, like you'll get it three days before and it's a hundred percent more. Yeah. It's crazy. So what we do is to a degree, there is something to be said about working with somebody who specializes just in commercial real estate insurance. Mm Because a lot of people end up with, oh, I've got an insurance guy. And they don't really get it. There's a whole, the whole markets aspect of the insurance business as well. And Mm -hmm. if you don't really have that and the wherewithal and the expertise in it, like a lot of times you think your insurance guy takes it out to everybody, but they don't. So for instance, if your insurance guy is also trying to sell you life insurance, you should probably find somebody. (laughs) And but so it's just a lot of the way it goes, honestly. Insurance is one of these aspects of the business that's really opaque and a lot of people don't understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, so part of what's going on is either the insurance agency you're using just doesn't have a lot of markets or the expertise. Mm-hmm. But the other side is if you go further enough in, into the insurance world, there's reinsurance companies, which basically the, those guys insure insurance companies and their whole risk models have changed. And but which basically mm-hmm. filters down through the whole system to just higher yeah. pricing in general. For instance, like anybody in Florida, like wind insurance is just has gotten crazy. We've had a lot of borrowers at this point that are like, I don't even care. I'll just take the risk on myself. I'm not paying like 400 grand a year for wind insurance. <laughs> right? But uh, yeah, we've been able to help out a lot of people just because of the specialization and also access mm-hmm. to more markets. But yeah, it's definitely getting more expensive. Yeah. A lot of people that are investing in places like Texas and Florida, we're seeing insurance just go up mm-hmm. dramatically in the last, what is it? Not too long. It's only been the last what, couple of years. And yeah. And it's probably going to get worse too, honestly. Yeah. And is that just because we're seeing a lot more natural disasters or what's the, the reason behind that? Yeah. There was something that I, I read like a couple of months ago that came out that basically said, Due to more natural disasters and higher insurance. I'm not here to debate global warming, but I don't think anybody can debate the fact that there's just been an enormous amount of property loss due to natural reasons and hurricanes and floods and all this stuff and much more than normal. And what they were saying was that the entire risk model was wrong and completely off. Mm -hmm. And and that's why we're seeing all these changes now, right? And you're seeing certain, you're like, 
I'm sure people are, some people are seeing this too. They're just having insurance companies drop them because they're leaving entire marketplaces. Yeah, go ahead. So how can people underwrite in this situation where if they get a quote today for their insurance, but maybe next year, if it's going to double, that's really going to hit your cash flow. Yeah, it sure is. I don't, it, it's tough. I, I don't know. With, with a, a buffer, it's hard to know in, in insurance too, like what next year's premiums are going to be because a lot of this has to do with what happened in that year. If you're in mm-hmm. Houston or somewhere in Florida and a huge hurricane blew through and there was a ton of property loss, that insurance companies do spread that risk and that cost around. That will affect it. Honestly, I, I think at this point, if you're really going to underwrite like expenses and want to make them realistic, you've got to underwrite a pretty good jump in insurance for mm-hmm. this year next year. Absolutely. Just on, to be conservative, people that are listening to the call, they're trying to underwrite deals right now. Obviously, it's not safe to be using today's quote in those figures. So should they be doubling it? What are your thoughts on that? I don't know if it's a double, but I don't know. It's a good question. It, and, it's, and it's hard to answer. I would say at least a 10% increase. I think that would be realistic. Mm -hmm. I don't know. If you're buying a property, I wouldn't use the current owners (laughs) or or real estate brokers numbers. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. And the closer you are to the coast, then definitely that the more risky it is as far as the insurance. Yeah. That wind insurance is uh, (laughs) definitely pretty pricey. Awesome. I'd like to switch gears a little bit here. And usually what we do for most of our podcast guests is we go into a deal breakdown and talk about a deal. I know you're also invested personally in commercial real estate. So it could be one of your own deals or maybe just a creative deal that you did for a client, just for our listeners to take some learning lessons away from it on how maybe they can apply some creative financing options in deals that might they may be trying to take down in the future. Okay, sure. Creative financing and deals. A deal I bought here in Chicago, and this is probably a good tip for people looking at it. I bought it from an owner operator. It's a multifamily building. I didn't have a third party manager. It was one of these guys that owned it forever and mm-hmm. he held the building together with like duct tape and like when something <laughs> would break, he would fix it. Yeah. And then he would break a week later, but he was there to fix it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Hard for anybody else to operate it that way. Yeah. But super old mechanicals, all this stuff like this, extremely inefficient. Utilities were crazy expensive, all this stuff. One thing I would say is there's a lot of energy efficiency credits and incentive programs and all kinds of stuff out there like that. I didn't even know that going into the building, but we got into it and I started looking around and this was only, you know, there's two buildings next door to each other, there's 18 units total. Um, we ended up through all these, this is in Chicago, but through these energy efficiency credits and incentive programs in Illinois getting something around like almost $400,000 worth of upgrades and in like new boilers and insulation and all this stuff, basically for free. And obviously what that did to the expense line item and anything you eliminate in the expense line item just drills right down into the property value through NOI. So I would say that was one of the most phenomenal plays we ever made. And it's definitely something to look into for anybody that's buying property today because there's a huge push for mm-hmm. energy efficiency and solar right now too. And it's definitely something to take advantage of because that stuff, there's two ways to make money on property rights, increase income or lower expenses. And that's mm-hmm. a great way to do the latter. Perfect. And was that a state specific That program? was in Chicago, Illinois, mm-hmm. but I'm guessing that stuff is all over the place. I know there's the solar stuff is certainly has incentives everywhere. Perfect. 
All right. And as far as your investment strategy goes, are you personally looking to acquire any more properties during this time? What is your investment strategy currently? We go back and forth between, because everything I do is real estate involved in some way. And we go back and forth between, do we have excess cash and do we want to invest in like property right now? Or do we have excess cash? We want to put it back into the business. And and like, I think, and I only like to buy things that I can personally touch and see and it makes sense for us, which means basically property around Chicago. I'm not sure just yet that sellers are ready to sell at a level where it makes sense based on where interest rates are. I think the law, I personally, I think rates will at least short-term rates will probably stay a little higher than most people expect. And the more time duration goes on, those sellers will start to come down. For um, sure. I feel that being said, we're, this is one of the busiest like our finance companies ever been. Like, there's definitely activity. People have figured yeah. things out. But commercial real estate is a great way of doing that. It's all just a math problem. Mm-hmm. And people are going to figure it out. That being said, just for straightforward property acquisitions, I, I feel like 2024, there's going to be a lot more opportunity to go around. And that's what we'll, we'll probably be looking for. Are you seeing more activity in certain asset classes right now? I see a lot of activity in one multifamily, seeing a lot of construction deals, and then we're seeing a ton in self-storage. Storage is a huge asset class right now with lots of activity. Um, Those are the two that I'm seeing the most out of. They say self-storage is very recession resistant. People are probably flocking to that right now because they're scared of the recession. (laughs) Yeah, they sure are. There is a storage play that's probably the best thing going in real estate. Yeah, perfect. All right. Thank you so much, Jake, for being on the show today. Where is the best place for people to find you online if they want to connect with you and learn more about your lending and insurance options? Hit me up on LinkedIn. I'm exceptionally easy to find or website, claptoncapital.com. This is all I do. So I'm always around. Perfect. All right. And thanks, everybody, for tuning into today's show. If you guys enjoyed this episode, please write us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Every review helps us to be able to reach more and more people that are looking to get involved in commercial real estate. If you're looking to level up your investment game, join the Commercial Real Estate Bosses community. It's completely free and inside you will get access to our Passive Investing 101 Masterclass, as well as regular live trainings where you can ask questions and access to industry professionals and like-minded investors. Join for free today by going to crebosses.com slash join. That's crebosses.com slash join. Or click on the link below and I'll see you inside.